Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, Oteil Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of Upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey guys, welcome to Inside the Musician's Brain. This is episode 8, and I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi, from the infamous String Dusters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I've got two interviews. First up will be Andy Falco, my bandmate, guitar shredder from the infamous String Dusters. And after that, I've got part two of my interview with Bill Nershey from the String Cheese Incident. Billy and I sat down a few months ago in Denver and had a really great talk about so many things, music, life in a band, life in general. Billy was such a great guest, one of my favorite interviews that I've done so far, and really tons of insight in this one, so stick around for that. Before we get rolling, a quick reminder that Inside the Musician's Brain is a part of Osiris Media, which is home to all kinds of great podcasts and is also curating live events, really all kinds of cool stuff going on over there at Osiris, so check that out. Today's episode is brought to you by Summit Publishing. They publish two awesome magazines, Blue Ridge Outdoors 
And here in Colorado, they've got Elevation Outdoors, all kinds of great ideas and inspiration for how to get out and make the most of this amazing part of the country. And they've also got great intel on music. They've got a festival guide in May that has featured the Dusters multiple times and can point you in the direction of some really great events. So check out Blue Ridge Outdoors and Elevation Outdoors. Today's episode is also brought to you by Diderio, a great company that produces all kinds of music gear. These guys have been supporting the Dusters since our inception, and right now in heavy rotation for me are the chromatic tuner pedal that I've got on my pedal board that is an essential for shows, tracks really well, and helps me stay in tune. I've also got the micro headstock tuner. I've got one of these on pretty much every one of my instruments and helps me stay in tune when I'm playing acoustically. And then, of course, the XT strings, my go-to strings for the banjo these days, sound great, last forever. Check out D'Addario, great people, and they truly make great gear. Okay, I'm going to keep my intro segment relatively short today since I've got these two interviews to air. I had a really hard time editing these down, all kinds of great info, so I'm basically going to roll them in their entirety. With Andy Falco, I got into talking about life on the road, something I saw a lot of people asking about and a very timely subject right now. This is basically the busiest time of the year for the String Dusters. We spend roughly the first four months of the year playing about 10 shows over 11 or 12 days with the full crew, full production on the bus night after night, and then we head home for about two weeks roughly and then we do that kind of like two weeks on two weeks off for the first four months of the year before we shift into festival mode and that usually happens in April and at that point we're flying we're playing two to four shows playing on the weekends Thursday through Sunday and you'd be amazed we'll play Thursday at a festival in New York and then Friday we'll be somewhere in the southeast and then Saturday we're in California And as your profile grows as a band, you're playing later in the day, and so you have more of the day to travel, and you can actually cover more ground and hit festivals all over the country. Now, that part of the schedule usually runs through the summer into the fall. Then we might have one or two short bus tours in the fall, followed by a few special events, Halloween, New Year's Eve, Strings and Soul. And that's pretty much our annual calendar. That's how it's been for quite a few years now. Of course, there are always some anomalies, but in the club touring part of the year, in those first four months of the year, it's all about hard ticket deals. So you're basically getting paid usually based on how many people are in the room. You're playing two set shows, and this is really the time of year when you're bringing the quintessential String Dusters experience to the people, your production, your light rig, your crew. These are longer shows, you know, usually two set shows, five to six shows a week in all the major cities all across the country. So this is where you really hit the road and bring your thing to the people. And for the string dusters, I think this is where the most creative evolution happens. You know, you have so much more time. You have roughly three hours on stage every night and you have five to six shows a week. So you can really take chances. And our set list really evolves in that time of the year. And that's for a few reasons. You know, that's for us to keep it fresh. But of course, we've also got fans who are coming night after night. So we really want to mix it up for them. So we're trying new songs, tons of new transitions, new lighting cues, and getting to meet before every show, talk all this stuff over, debrief after the shows, put our heads together on what's working. And through the course of all that, the music and the show really evolve at a rapid rate. 
And then as we shift into festival season, we get to look at all that and sort of pick from that and take the best of the best and create more of like a home run set for festivals where you're usually playing one set, you know, 75 to 90 minutes and you've just traveled in, you haven't been playing together night after night. So we'll get a little bit of rehearsal maybe before the show, but it's time to sort of bring out your best stuff. And a lot of that is what we figured out in the club touring part of the year. So once the festival season rolls around, you're playing then usually for guarantees that are based on and driven by the hard ticket sales that you have proven in that club part of the year. You know, it's a lot more travel, a lot more flying, a lot less music, but you know, it has its upsides too. You're gone more sporadically, but essentially less of the time. And there's something so amazing about the community building element of these festivals, you know, and that goes for the fans, of course, who travel in and get to commune with each other and share their favorite bands and all their favorite music. But it's for the artists, too. You know, there's lots of collaborating, lots of sit-ins, and we get to see what all of our peers are up to. And I think there's a real moment of inspiration there when you get to see what all the other bands in our world and also outside of our world have been doing as far as their process and their evolution and what they've figured out on all these different fronts from production to repertoire, music, how the show is presented. You just learn a lot in festival season and you get to see your friends play, which is great. You get to enjoy the music, you get to discover new acts and you get to be a part of that community, especially in the bluegrass and roots music world. There's such a strong component of this. And it's funny, every year when the touring part of the year wraps up and it's time to hop on the plane and head to festivals, I'm always ready for that. And then vice versa, when we've done the flying thing for a few months and it's time to get back on the bus, I'm always excited for that. It's something different, two different takes on the whole idea of touring as a musician. But the travel part is really never easy. And it puts a stress on your personal life and it's very unorthodox. And it takes a lot of experience to figure out how to keep all the different factors in balance to make sure that you stay healthy, stay inspired, uh, have your personal life thrive, and arrive at showtime every day in the best frame of mind, ready to soar, ready to do your thing the best that you can. And you have to manage expectations on a macro level, understanding how your whole year is going to lay out, but also on a micro level and on a day-to-day level. And a routine can be really, really key. The fans, of course, only see you for the roughly two hours or so that you're on stage every night, but that doesn't account for the vast majority of your life. So I thought we would break all this down and dig into it and compare notes with Andy about how he looks at his experience as a musician and hopefully shed a little bit of light on what life is like on tour. So here we go, Andy Falco. What's up, guys? I'm sitting here with my man Andy Falco, guitar shredder extraordinaire. And we are about a week into our big tour that gets underway every January. And we're sitting backstage at the venue in Santa Cruz. Yeah. How, How you doing, doing? Christy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me awesome, on the show. Man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing this. So 
I want to kind of talk about a few things today. But first, I want to start with life on the road, just because this is something that, you know, people who aren't in bands and aren't on tour, I think it's very foreign to them. And you get a lot of questions about, I think, what we perceive as the really mundane stuff um, with regard to how life unfolds on the road. And for the String Dusters, our schedule is pretty consistent for the first four months of every year. We go on tour and we load up the bus and there's five of us obviously in the band and then we've got six on the crew. We've got our um, audio team and that's Drew front of house and Carol. Then we've got Jason on the lights. We've got Tracy on the merch. We've got our tour manager, Tony. We've got Jay doing photo and video and our bus driver, Wynn. So it's a lot of people. To pack bus in, in, a, in a small space every day, and we go out and we do about ten or eleven shows spanning two weekends, and then we go home for a few weeks. So, um, you know, for the first four months of the year, this is this is our life. It's this sort of binary experience of on the road, off the road, and you know, you really have to. For me, anyway, it really helps to get into a routine. And at this point, now, you know, years deep into touring i think we all know you know how to schedule and sort of lay out our day to deliver us to showtime with the best frame of mind would you, right. would you agree I, absolutely yeah it's it's crucial really to have that sort of routine and it's almost yeah it's one of those things like i have some friends coming to tonight for example and i'm psyched to see them they're my, some of my best friends in the world but yeah, it kind of throws off your routine a little bit. But, th- but my friends all understand that at a certain point of the day, um, you know, I sort of disappear and, and, and it's going to be kind of I'll see you after the show, you know, because you have to have that uh, certainly close to the show time, especially. Yeah. So, so take us through what you consider your daily schedule leading up to that time. You know, so it, to me, it's sort of divided into two parts. You know, you have your sort of early part of the day. And then you have the ramp up to the show. So how does that look for you? Yeah, and I, I always kind of describe it to people. It's, it's like there's like two days inside of every one day on the road. You know, you have your daytime, you know, routine. And then there's like the showtime routine. And that's almost like day two where, you know, um, I consider that starting at sound check. So be, what about before sound check? So before sound check, you know, I you? try to sleep later, you know, um, on the bus because, you know, I, my peak energy, I feel like needs to be sort of during showtime. So I try to sleep as late as I can, but you know, that'll be 10, 11 o'clock. And the first thing I do usually in the morning after making some coffee is I, I call my wife and I try to connect with home because that's the part of the day that I can spend an hour, two hours, however long that Jasmine has, really. And is that to, like a scheduled thing? It's not for scheduled. You? It's kind of, you know, some days we, we, you know, she's busy or some days we have things going on. We might have radio or right, something. Right. But it's, it's generally, you know, what I do when I get, after I get up and have some coffee, I call Jazz. And, and that's sort of the best part of the day where we can really connect, you know, um, while I'm away. And then um, after after that, you know, during the day, you know, it's kind of just trying to get some exercise, walk around, you know, see, check out where you are. Um, and then, you know, really the, the headspace to me starts maybe a little bit before sound check. I'll get the guitar out and start my warm up process. And that could be anything from just warming up and moving my hands to, you know, maybe thinking about a song that we might want to do that night or, or sometime during the tour that's new. 
and maybe even this is less often on the road, but maybe even like starting to write something. You yeah, know, sometimes which yeah, happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do a similar thing where we're actually sitting in the green room in Santa Cruz right now at the catalyst. And before we did this interview, I just had the banjo out for a few minutes and I like to just get it out and sort of feel my flow and establish, you know, sort of what that feels like. Get the yeah, wheels. Like how, 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 how are we doing today? It's like, exactly. you're talking to your instruments. Exactly. Like, how are we today? Like, exactly. what are we, and if there's anything you need to address, if you feel like stiff or you feel this, you can start to sort of, right. you know, address that stuff. You know? Well, an interesting Interestingly, you say, how are we doing today? And I've one real conscious thing that I've tried to do is have it less be this question of like, how is it going to be today? And more just think to myself, like, I get a few minutes to just make some music yeah. and sort of feel the joy and be, have that be something that I'm looking forward to. And because I know, you know, and it's it's such a it's such a challenge to play a hundred shows a year and to get up for those. And I know in periods of my career where I feel like I've sort of gotten in my own head, gotten in my own way, if you will, are those times when I'm like, well, let's see how this goes today. (laughs) You know what I mean though? Versus getting excited for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and I think that getting acquainted with the acoustic instruments acoustically as the first part of your musical day is to me, really valuable because it's so different inside of the in-ears and plugged in and all these things. So it's really a great way to sort of calibrate yourself with the instrument as it's, as you want to hear it in, in the room. Yeah. That's a great way of saying it. Cause once you plug in and the instrument is producing sound in a whole different way, and then you add the in-ear monitors in. So you're actually hearing the instrument in an entirely different way. You know, it's crazy to think, but every note that you play travels through you know many feet of cable before it actually affects and exactly and a lot of effects that are not really effects they're just trying to make it sound like that's right the instrument that's right but but essentially there's so and i I do a similar thing you know i wake up have some coffee you know have have a, a, a light bite to eat and then i usually get out for some exercise get out for a run which feels great just to like move my body and also part of what i like about that is seeing the town that we're in and sort of vibing with it. And I said, you know, in a previous episode where I talked about writing the set list for me, that that's a big part of it is just feeling the energy of this place. And it's a very real thing. Um, you know, trying to sense what the day is like, what the energy is like, and then let that sort of guide, you know, in that previous instance that I was discussing at the set list, but also just sort of your creativity in general, you know, you start to feel, your flow, where you turn on the faucets. Exactly, exactly. And sort of feel where it's at. And so I usually do that in the hour or so kind of leading up to sound check. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. And then it's, you know, once we get into sound check, you know, I think that's when, that's usually the first part of the day, I think that you can count on sort of everybody in the band starts to kind of come together. Yeah. You know, milling around and, and... It's essentially the first phase of the structured work day for us you know our crew has been in loading for a few hours and then we come in 
typical show day schedule today. Right now, it's about 3.35. We have sound check at 5, which is typical. Um, for Actually, the, it's a little bit late because a lot of times it's like 4.30. Yeah, four. So, sometimes it'll be 4.30. It depends on the club, and sometimes there's a tri- restrictions on sound. Sometimes there's an opener. So now we're coming into the weekend shows, typically on the weekday shows, you know, Sunday, call it Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday shows. We won't have an opener. Now we're here on a Thursday, so it's going to be a little bit of a later schedule since we're coming into the weekend with an opener. So we got sound check coming up at 5 o'clock. And I try to get the set list done, at least mostly done, so that in soundcheck we can start to kind of get our heads in the game and try any songs that are different. But even above and beyond the set list, wouldn't you agree that that's sort of like where the wheels really start to get turning and you start to focus on the music? That's when it all begins and then you actually get into the, you know, you get all suited up with your, you know, with your stuff and you put your in-ears in and then we get on stage and... And, um, you know, and that's, you know, sound check is partially, obviously, doing just that, checking the sound, making sure everything's working from a technical standpoint. But it's also, yeah, an opportunity now where I've, I'm taking after calibrating with my instrument acoustically. Now I'm also trying to calibrate on, and trying to reproduce sort of all of that, you know, inside the ears with the sound. Um, and the and and the you know plugged in and all that stuff and I, I often, as you probably know, I mean a lot of times I kind of get up on stage a few minutes early even just kind of yeah. just sing through it sing because every room sound, even with in ear monitors every room sounds a little bit different depending on the size of the room and, and yeah you know, and you just want to start getting comfortable get comfortable right with how the instrument feels how it sounds and so sound check usually runs about an hour and then for me. The real ramp up to the show, you know, sound check sort of gets the wheels turning. But then, you know, once sound check's done, in in tonight's case, you know, we'll we'll be on stage from about five to six, and then I believe we have an eight o'clock production meeting for a nine fifteen start. The nightly meeting, always, yeah, yeah right, right, exactly. So what what about between six and eight? What are you doing? You know, how are you conserving energy? What are sort of the guidelines that you follow for all that time? Yeah. So what I try to do is I try to sneak, like a like I call it a nap. It's not always like necessarily a nap where I'm sleeping, but I I try to get into my bunk for we call it coffin time. Do, do a little <laughs> do a little coffin time. Um, but you know, usually we walk off stage and we try to we we get dinner is the first thing you know because you have this limited time you got to eat dinner you try to chill and then you got to kind of usually I shower after um, after I kind of like lay down and chill for a little while and that might you know look like me just laying in the bunk I might if I'm tired I might actually close my eyes for twenty minutes or I might just kind of zone out and watch something mindless or just kind of just think about you know the the what the show we're going to do you know often by then there's a lot of times a set list out um that's been sent around i might kind of just start thinking about how that's going to go and if there if i have any ideas about that um and then i get up and i take a shower and that's when my date what i call like day two begins because i kind of like i feel like it's like i'm waking up again taking a shower sometimes making another cup of decaf coffee (laughs) and uh and then we, we all sit for the meeting, and that's yeah. when, like, you know, now we're, like, really in the showtime, you know. that's Because the meeting we, is always, for these club runs, 75 minutes before we hit the stage, all hands on deck, full production, full crew meeting. Um, and, you know, once that starts, it's almost like 
that's when the show starts. Yeah, and that's and, something that I'm, I'm sure you talked about on the show before. But uh, you know, we so we got that from Mo. Really, that's right. They, they, I sat in with Mo in New York City one time, and they were like, "We'll come to the to the meeting," and I'm like, "The what? You know, <laughs> come to the meeting?" And it, and I went, and, and that's what they did, and I came back to the guys I was like you know they do this meeting it's pretty cool and, and that's where I guess we got it from and we it's incredible to think that we once didn't do that because that is such a crucial part of our day and absolutely the thing that opens the door to us trying lots of new and creative things on our set list because yeah. that's the time when we go over the set list and it will sometimes have some changes you know there's all these rules that we follow where you know you try to distribute the singers the jams all these things and it's impossible for me to cover all those things so this is a chance to make sure that everybody's got what they need in the set list and then just as important we talk through all these transitions yeah and and, and a lot of them come out of panda's head early in the day just trying to think of like how to do some of these different transitions and then you know sometimes we talk them through sometimes it's like, I don't know, we're not sure if it's going to We have to take out the instruments and just yeah, yeah. try it to see if it works. And, 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 if it, and sometimes if, it's, if it seems kind of weird, then we adjust it, you know. Or, and you sometimes know. we do a lot better than others in the meeting. It's a fact <laughs> of life. Well, and it, you know. <laughs> it's just like anything. But, you know, it's just, it's, it depends on where people's heads are at. And sometimes we have a really ambitious set list, you know, like New Year's with all yeah. the machines teases. And yeah. those meetings will take half an hour or more. And it's absolutely crucial that we have the instruments out and try things because there are lots of things on there that you really don't know how they sound until you give it a little bit of a test run. Yeah, and you so have you to, especially are the guitar at the minimum. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And and we, you know, it's really important to get you know if you're going to have a cool idea, you really only get one shot to do it because a lot of the stuff is, is stuff that's just going to happen maybe that night. You that's know? right. I mean, every set list is different, so you only get one chance to do it. And you just want to make sure that it really mainly we don't. You, and a lot of times, like we are a band, we don't like to like overthink things or overanalyze things because you, you know we want things to be spontaneous and feel feel that way. But we do want to make sure that we're all on the same page so that we all know exactly what's going to happen and what to expect, so that we can you know we can we can make it flow. I mean, if it's the final mankdown on the tour. <laughs> <laughs> which is the last few days of tour we call the final mankdown. Um, you know, you might get a lot of, you know, everyone's kind of like giddy and goofy and the meetings sometimes. But can, the band is also like really firing on all cylinders. Yeah, right. So you can sort of trade one for another. Right, and right. I think you make a great point. Like I, I think a great meeting is not about talking through every last detail of how things should go. It's actually when done really well it's more about creating a framework, a platform, a jumping off point yeah. for spontaneity. Yeah. So we'll look at, you know, if there's like, for example, a change that needs to be cued or a tease that's going to be thrown in there. We'll see how it flows with whatever comes before and comes after. But we want to ultimately create a platform for spontaneity. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's paramount to what we do on stage. I mean, exactly. you know, and... and and, you know, we're not, we have to discuss it because we're not a band, you know, we have, you know, four different soloists and, you know, everybody sings at some point, you know, yeah. there's a lot. That, so we have to sort of, it's not like you can just follow one person because, you know, in, in some of these jams, you know, you want to, you want to kind of make sure like you kind of have an idea what's going on and you kind of, and we all sort of, you know, 
can read each other's minds to some degree, but like you just want to be able to know. Like sometimes it might be like Panda saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of lead the charge on this area," or you know, Falco is gonna lead the charge on this. And then, and then this way, we we kind of know, and it takes a little bit of that out of it. But um, you know, you want to leave the spontaneity yeah. for sure. And a lot of times, the ideas that I come up with during the day are very preliminary. And I actually, there's transitions during the meeting every night where. It's totally open. I, I just said, hey, you know, these two songs are in consonant keys, but they may not be in uh, a similar timing or, you know, speed or anything like that. But I know that if I bring that to the meeting, we can sort of work it out together and we, we figure those things out together. And that's, you know, that's to me the real start of the show is yeah. at the meeting. And I actually do a similar thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm also a fan of Coffin Time. And for me, it's not always a nap. It's just, it's kind of like a meditation or yeah. even just like a shutdown. Yeah, it's and, a shutdown. And I know I, it really helps me um, in terms of preserving energy and coming into the meeting and then ultimately the ramp up to the show to just be able to sort of separate myself from whatever I did during the day, whether that's, you know, sitting here and podcasting or I will, you know, try to hit a coffee shop and get some work done or, you know, it could be any number of things, sort of leaving that behind and just creating a blank slate and getting ready to sort of achieve the ultimate goal in all of this, which is just to be completely present with the music. And, and it's that that's when you can really just be the artist yeah. at that point. You know right. what I mean? And you don't have to, you know, and that's, you know, what we're, what we're after ultimately. And so, so from the meeting, so the meeting lasts anywhere from, I would say, you know, 15, 20 to 30 or a few more minutes. So once the meeting wraps up, you know, we're about 45 minutes of stage time. What, What's that time like for you, and how do you get your on-stage mindset really coming into focus? Yeah, so now that's like when I usually um, I change my strings before every single show. So, and it's like almost to a point where I probably don't even necessarily have to. It's like just sort of the way I. It's like a it's like a ritual for me, yeah. kind of. But I, um, I, uh, and it's Daddario strings, you know, of course, and and I change those. Um, but usually what I do, the first thing I do after the meeting is I go back and I get dressed for the show. So I kind of wait and see what everybody else is wearing so you don't have eight plaid shirts on, <laughs> on stage. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I usually kind of get dressed and, and, and then sort of, um, you know, I'm kind of still on the bus and, and sipping my, my coffee a little bit and looking at the set list and I'm imagining as the set list goes down, even now we've discussed a set list, we've made any changes, this is basically the final set list. So now I can imagine to myself as it's going down, I could look like where the jams are, I kind of go through the transitions as they you know, might go in my head and what rhythmically I might be sort of you know, going for or even like where you know, certain places on the set list where I might you know, be stepping out more you know, and I kind of just sort of map that out because it helps me during the show, just kind of having an idea of where I think it might be appropriate for me to step out and where I think it's, you know, appropriate to, to not, you know, or, or whatever. And, and, you know, um, so I kind of do that. And then I, and then I, uh, I go into the venue and I, and I change, that's when I change my yeah. strings and you guys are usually in there. We're usually in there first. Yeah. Yeah. I usually, Andy Hall and I usually head into the venue first. And I think that's because the finger pick guys, it takes a 
a little more warm up just to like get the the muscle memory going and so we're usually in the venue first and then the other three guys falco and jeremy and travis usually come in later i'm always amazed that you're changing your strings like 15 minutes before we go on but yeah. if if you were falco's strings you would understand because <laughs> they take a freaking beating on a nightly basis but for me i'm warming up and then i'll usually i i try to so 10 minutes before showtime is when i put my wireless packs on so yeah. i've got one pack for my in-ear monitors that's how i hear the rest of the band then i've got another wireless pack that's my instrument di that's the majority of my sound and then i have a third that's a microphone on my instrument that's used to color the sound and you're the same right same three packs. I have the same three up. packs yeah. yeah and then i have you know i have a spare guitar that has a another pack for the for the microphone that's built on it but i i usually set that up during sound check and leave it on the stage yeah and I usually do that about 10 minutes before we go on. And at that point, you're as good as on stage. I put my in-ears oh, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to really commune or talk to anyone no. who's not you guys or family or crew. And I'm just trying to essentially be immersed in the zone mentally and physically that I'm going to be trying to get in on stage. Yeah, yeah. That's the point of that. And, you know, I, I aim for that like 10 minutes before I'm packing up. But... <laughs> Truthfully, there are days where I'm like kind of because I'm doing so much after the meeting, you know, I'm like the strings and all that stuff, you know, sometimes I'm kind of rushing a little bit trying to get everything together. Does that ever stress you out? I hate that. Yeah, I hate. But, but you know, I, I used to get more stressed out about it, but now it's not that big of a deal because I know I've realized that like. Yeah, if if I just need another minute, I'm just like I just need another minute. Like we take another minute. Is there a the reason end. you don't change earlier? Yeah, yeah I, t- I like to change them because sometimes just like so warming freshest. up. Yeah, just yeah. so they're the absolute freshest when they go on, and yeah. it's like it also helps me with the consistency of the sound in my ears to like like I you know because they're you know they're the freshest, so they're like exactly the same. There's no yeah. variance really, and I think that's just kind of me being more sort of you know OCD or something about it but I just you know I have like a weird thing I even get weird sometimes like once I change my strings if somebody's there and they like pick up my guitar and play it, it that I, it's like it, I almost Mojo feel like I have drain. to yeah it's weird I have to like change my strings again you know <laughs> I have a weird thing about that I just like to go up and have like the freshest strings and a lot of that's you know since we became a five piece years ago our, all of our rhythm style changed and it got, you know, more intense, really. Yeah. Like it's like the that's rhythm true. stuff that's that gets true. super intense with the, with string duster music and, yeah. you know, and keeping since that we have energy. No, since we have no mandolin, Falco, it's awesome, man. I really I notice it on a nightly basis. The way your style has evolved to just basically play sort of two rhythmic roles in one. And it's a heavy chop you know, on the off beats, but also down beats and the, the chords are represented. So you've got not only the rhythm, but also the harmonic elements of it. Yeah. It's like a balance between like making the rhythm full so right. that it's not emptying out, but like trying to accentuate, accentuate a little bit of that, you know, that chop, which when we talk about the chop, what we're talking about is like, you know, sort of the, the, like where the snare drum, would the off beats. You know? Yeah. So, so um, then once this show starts, you know, I know for me, when I walk on stage, I really try to establish myself in a zone. That's a big part of my routine. And before I go looking around to see who's in the wings at a festival or to see who's in the front row, I really just try to... And, of course, I do 
you know, make an effort to commune with the audience and meditate on, on the idea that they're not there to judge you. They're there to really enjoy and be a part of what you do and that's sort of leading on the stage. But then once on the stage, I know for me, I really try to establish my zone yeah. before I fully open up to the crowd, you know, say over the course of the first two songs of the night. Is that... Yeah. You feel a similar thing? Yeah, I get up there and I sort of... You know, I get to my area, my yeah. main area. I mean, we kind of cruise around, but um, I, I kind of get to my main zone. I kind of like, kind of feel where my microphone is and where my, where like my pedal board is, and sort of my proximity to the other guys, and you know, kind of just take in the space a little bit. And then I kind of look. I kind of look more at like the venue at first, kind of mm. as a whole. You know, because, you know, you do get sort of individuals, but I kind of like to think of it as like a whole. And I think of it like we're going to be out there and we're about to, you know, get on a roller coaster with with this group of people yeah. together. And we're going to all be screaming at the same time. You know, uh, that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, all right, like here we are. And you kind of look around and and then, you know, we start our and then the trash can begins. Yeah. And you got and you got to and the trash can is that frenzied, chaotic noise that we always get into at the beginning of the show and then it's sort of for me like establish yourself and then three or four songs in and I really need to pace myself yeah. I know if I blow it out and put too much energy into like the first half of the first set my hands will get tired yeah. and I'll yeah. play too hard and so pace yourself get in the zone and I sort of ride that through the first set and then set break it, you know there's a misconception about set break it, it's and for us, it's not really a break. The show is like still underway. Yeah, there's barely enough time to take your instrument and your packs off. You know, hit the bathroom, grab a drink, and then you're. So it's you're really keeping that mindset flowing. Yeah, and the a set break, break, I think, for us also helps us helps you kind of, kind of like reset your energy. Sometimes, like. Sometimes you're you might be struggling with something on the first set, maybe a technical issue, or and, and the you set know, break is a godsend. And, and the set break just yeah. kind of allows you to kind of like take take a pause, yeah. You know, kind of figure out what's going on and kind of. But you know, some of that stuff it's not that big of a deal. It might be something that happened on one song, but that could stay with you for an entire set. It yeah. could like tweak you and like and you know, it's our job as professional you know musicians to be able to you know overcome that stuff and i think generally we we do but it's still kind of it's nice to sort of shed all of that during this during the set break and yeah. be able to just kind of come back fresh for your for your second set yeah you know or you know maybe everything was just banging on the first set and it was great and sometimes it's great to sort of take a pause and be able to ride that energy then you yeah. know, into the second but set. But it really is like a continuation it's of a continuation. the show. It's a continuation. Yeah, people, then, you can't even speak to people really during a set break. It's and like, before you know it, you're going back out. And I agree, you know, a lot of times you can sort of regroup. Uh, you can commune with your bandmates on elements of the show that just went down, whatever's coming up. But that idea of a reset can be can be really nice and you can nice. sort of get the kinks out and then the second set is always sort of the payoff in a way you know you're established you know the vibe you know the space you know and you come to, in kind of like with a confidence I almost agree. you yeah. know and then it's like you know and and that has its own you know kind of benefits and and I think also you know I've had probably on the rare occasion where there might be like 
you know, somebody from like management office or somebody backstage, you know, during a set break. I've had, I've probably been the weirdest dude in those kinds of conversations. Cause you're, you're, you know, I think of like being in a show, ideally, you're almost like floating above yourself, about eight feet above, watching, yeah. kind of, ideally. Like when everything's really connecting, you yeah. just feel like you're floating. And separate, you, to me, you're still kind of in that space. You're still kind of floating along there and just kind of like taking yeah. your moment. And yeah, you can't really be like a, like to me, I can't be like a normal person at that yeah. point. You know? And so the show wraps up and typically we get some sort of, uh, debrief with each other regarding elements of the show. You know, it's not a scheduled thing, but we will go over what just went down yeah. and talk about what went well and what didn't. But, um, you know, it's, it's I think, a pretty pretty G-rated scene after the show compared yeah, we, to some bands. Yeah, we keep it... Well, we're, you know... We're, we're, we, we, we take it very seriously, but, you know, we, look, we have, we have fun, but the focus is on the music yeah. and, you know, Hey, we got, we got families and stuff, but like, we just, you know, we, yeah, like we like to talk about, you know, the music and then we, we, we chill out and then, you know, you kind of get back on the bus, get in the PJs. Maybe, maybe the G a, rating changes a little. <laughs> maybe you have a little, you know, adult, adult <laughs> beverage perhaps or something, you know, and, uh, but you know. I oftentimes will also try to call my wife right after the show, soon after the show, and usually I don't get her. Sometimes I might get her just for a second because it's like like now we're on the West Coast and we live in New York. I mean, the time difference is... What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Um, I usually just try to just say, hey, you know, back back in the bus, we had a good show, blah, 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 you know, good night kind of thing. Um, it's a, it's a, I love that moment after the show, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a payoff for a band in a situation like we're in where, you know, we're really lucky. We love playing together. We love hanging out. And so that's a moment where we get to sort of, if there is a time where we can in the moment enjoy the fruits of our labor, you know, yeah. it's it's a good chance to unwind and catch up with some friends and then crash out and do I it mean, all again the next day. Do it all day. again and then yeah. it all starts the next day again. And, you know, for every, you can fall asleep on the bus and always remember for every, for every, you know, for every eight hours of bus sleep, it's like four hours of home right. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're about an hour out from the show right now, so we're going to wrap this up and I'm going to go grab a shower and then we're going to be into sound check, but... Falcon, thanks so much for joining me, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yep, it's going to be a good one tonight. Looking forward to it. Great stuff right there from Andy Falco. I'm definitely going to be doing more of those short interviews with my Duster brothers as the podcast rolls on to get their perspective on the many aspects of life as a musician. Right now, we're going to jump to part two of my interview from a few months back with Billy Nershi from the String Cheese Incident, incredible guitar player, singer, songwriter, and a great friend. We toured together back in the day in the Emmett Nershi Band, and of course, we've had many great collaborations in many formats with the Cheese Guys, sitting in with them, they've sat in with us, Bluegrass General,
Generals, you name it. These guys are such an incredible band, huge inspiration to us, and they have been providing the world with incredible music for 25 years now, which is amazing. Thank you guys so much. And in the very beginning here of part two of this interview, I'm actually going to roll what was the end of part one with some amazingly sage advice from Billy about the power of yes energy. And there's just all kinds of great nuggets all through this interview. So hope you guys enjoy. Here we go. Billy Nershi. The sky was blue, the sun was beating down. You have to be always more leaning toward the yes side or let's check it out side. You know, that's been the precedent since the beginning of the band and to right now. And, you know, and it, you know, it, it, makes everybody feel like they're incorporated it makes everybody feel like they're adding to what's going on yeah and that's like that's a great when you get on stage everybody's feeling like i'm an important part of this band i contribute to this band on a lot of levels yeah and that's the kind of vibe that you want you yeah know? it's a great approach to more than just a band, any any group endeavor, you know, if you cultivate that right. yes energy and then and then people know that they have an outlet for whatever it is that's original to their voice, you know, even if that's not sort of the original mission of things. Um, but now, so so let me ask you a question. Let me get inside your brain for a minute, please. <laughs> With the string dusters, yeah. Uh, First of all, do you consider yourself you do you consider the band a jam band or do you, what do you consider if I said if I had never heard of the string dusters before infamous string dusters and I said what kind of band sure. is it? I say it's a bluegrass band and I think that that means something different to different people. You know, if that hits yeah. a more traditional yeah. set of ears they might be offended by that because we're doing our own thing with bluegrass. But in this modern world of acoustic music and jamgrass yeah. and everything that's going on, I think that we're even more toward the bluegrass side of the spectrum. You know, no drums, yeah. pretty classic bluegrass instrumentation, the way we sing harmonies. But like you guys, what's guided our evolution is mostly the songs. And it's whatever mm-hmm. the songs call for. And if one right. song calls for... Uh, a more standard kind of Scruggs bluegrass roll on the banjo, then I'll take it that way. But Mm -hmm. each song in pre-production sessions is uh, a chance to figure out new and different ways to play your instrument to suit that song. So, you know, I I, I mean... Right. Well, I I agree, you know, because if you look at a percentage of what you do as a band and style of the band it it's it's firmly rooted in bluegrass yeah it's firmly firm. ro- but the interesting thing is that a lot of your audiences are jam band audiences yeah. well i did not i mean i didn't even know what bluegrass was when i got my first banjo i what? O- i only knew the flectones what oh i the knew flectones. the flectones and then i got an old in got that olden in the way live at the boarding house and uh-huh. 
from there, the banjo took me backward into bluegrass. Uh-huh. But, you know, I had round Are the you wheel. you bluegrass uh, banjo players are backwards? No, I'm, I'm backwards. <laughs> Some of them are. I'm backwards. Now, <laughs> now that you're inside my brain, you're seeing this clearly. But you, but. you evolved to where you are from a, from uh, the outside in. Exactly. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing that you know hindsight is 2020 i think for me it was a challenge to go back ultimately when i moved to nashville i really did on the advice of ben eldridge go back and learn traditional bluegrass especially for banjo he his great advice to me was if you learn bluegrass banjo it will put all these more modern ideas in context Mm. you know if you know Mm -hmm. the framework of the music you know and if you look at any great banjo player from bela on down the line they all know how to play really solid bluegrass. So I kind of started with these tunes that were so over my head and I didn't have the technique, but I was still Mm -hmm. just inspired and trying to learn. And then it came back to bluegrass and use that. I use that now as my foundation, but you know, the dusters, we are essentially a bluegrass band, but we also are taking the music in very experimental directions and we have, you know, 15 minute jams and we Mm -hmm. cover everything from, you know, you guys to fish and the grateful dead and the list goes on and on. Um, you know, use a lot of effects, but we also play uncle pen and come back. Right. Right. So, so like our band and salmon and the flectones and, Newgrass Revival um, have always played bluegrass and other styles mm-hmm. to people that are at shows that expect to see anything, rock, funk, any kind of music, and then they hear bluegrass, and it's like now they're developing an ear for That's right. the, the kind of music. And, That's right. Um, one of the bands that a lot of bluegrass bands were uh, cool enough to to put their feet in the in the jam band world and see how how it went playing for jam band audiences like our like you guys audience. bringing Dell out to De- and first Dell Dell and and uh, De- the Dell McCory band was one of the bands that was really willing to they could tell that we we love bluegrass as a as band at least uh, you know a few of us were you know some appreciate it and some really love it you know and they could see that and um they played shows with us and uh the audiences ate it up i bet you know and um you know hats off to them and Ricky Skaggs and uh, New South, you know, and uh, uh, you know the the bluegrass bands that aren't aren't you know don't shun the the jam sure. band people. And now, as a result, we can do anything from a traditional bluegrass tune to a full fucking womp electronic right. tune, you know, EDM tune and people are just out there and they they just 
there's no separation for them. Right. It's right. like that. We like that. And we like this. You, you know? guys, that, like, that's that's your guys' thing. I mean, to me, it's just aesthetically, musically, it's so unique. There's nothing like you guys. There's nothing that covers that wide of a spectrum with that much authority. And it, it's it's interesting what you just said. I think you guys, not only by virtue of having Dell open shows, you know, but also by virtue of the music that you guys have, some bluegrass in your set and certainly bluegrass-influenced music. And that, I think, is a thing that's, taking a lot of these newer fans, they don't know anything about traditional bluegrass. They don't know who mm-hmm. Bill Monroe is. But this, you know, and, and that's the same story for me. You know, I had Round the Wheel before I ever owned, you know, Tis Sweet to be Remembered, Flattened Scruggs, or any uh-huh. of the things that really became, mm-hmm. you know, really the building blocks of sort of my knowledge of bluegrass and my playing. You guys are taking people back and sort of creating this portal for them to find traditional bluegrass. And I, I think that's that's a cool thing. And, you know, hopefully we'll be part of, you know, your legacy and also just the jamgrass movement in general. I, I, I always say if there's a great, and it's a great aspect of it that it will potentially turn people on to some of these more classic bluegrass bands right right uh you know and some we, of the ones you mentioned we, like skags and them but also even the old stuff too you know flattened scruggs bill monroe yeah. all that classic stuff yes yeah, stanley brothers um and and we love that's why we uh continue to um at festivals put put aside time in our shows to have um, so bluegrass bands up with us, yeah. like like the Dusters. Yep. You guys have uh, we've had some great Sunday afternoon show, the uh, bluegrass sets at yeah. the at the forest and and different places, and and hope to do more of that. Yeah, well, we certainly appreciate it, and you guys have blazed so many trails that we travel now, and I think that you know that's. Like again, that's gonna be another part of what you guys leave behind is just opening the door to, um, you know, a, a big eclectic stew musically, and for fans like like you say, you know, it could be a EDM tune and then you know a bluegrass tune, and and you guys are yeah. you're breaking the fans in for for all of us. Expect so. expect anything. That's right. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about the. The dynamics of cheese and how you guys have, you know, I know from talking to you and Keith that you guys over the years have worked on your dynamics as a band. You've done some coaching sessions to try and, you know, optimize that. And and I'm just curious, you know, how does that how does that work? Is that something that all of you guys wanted to do? Is that something that a few of you pushed for? And how has it made you a better band? Yeah, well, um, so we used to travel around together in Bussy um, when we were touring. Like, I mean, we toured our butts off. Uh, let's see, 450 shows in two years. I think that was Holy 97 cow. and 98 or... Oh my god! I mean, that'll that'll test, that'll test relationships. So, but we're traveling around. There's nowhere to escape right. from each other. The as a result, it's like we gotta, you know, work things out. 
as we're going. Right. You know, or it's going to blow up. Because no, synchro- no, no matter how synchronous you are as a starting place, there's going to be things that and come we're, up. And we're, you know, really different people. You know, some bands right. are like, we went to college together and right. we formed a band. You know, we're all from... You know, Hoboken, New Jersey or whatever. Sure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but we were from, you know, like California. I'm from New Jersey. You know, there's people from Keith is an Oki, you know. Right, right. And so we're all really different. Um, well, that it was those years touring and driving around together were great in a lot of ways, you know, because we could really talk about what we wanted to do, how we wanted things to go with the band, you sure. know. How, um, it was really exciting, you know. And and also, there's like, you know, we've played nine shows in a row, and, you know, oh, we're doing, we were playing 19 shows in 18 days, and I drove at night one time, you know, I did the the uh, the overnight, mm-hmm. and I um, Kristen Mosley was on the bus and stayed up with me, and when I was driving, and then um, pulled off on an you know an off ramp into a, a rest area, and all it was full of semis. There was nowhere to park, so about. A quarter mile in, I pulled off to the side of the on-ramp. It was right next to the parking lot. And we went to bed. And we were awoken a couple hours later by a pickup truck came off the off-ramp and either was asleep or something happened, ran right into the trailer, knocked the trailer into the back of the bus. Um, I swear I got a concussion from that. Keith and Kristen's bunk was actually in the back of the bus, and they were a little banged up, but you know, more like shaken up yeah, than than like you know, um, otherwise. But so we took some pictures of stuff for insurance. Got a and a uh, couple of the guys went and got a got a truck. Came back, we loaded the stuff into the truck, and we drove to the gig. We came back, we got the bus repaired, and then we went to the next gig. So this happened in the middle of eight, nineteen shows in eighteen days. We got hit by this truck. And had to deal with all that. We still played that show that night, oh and we kept right on tour. Got the trailer, got a new trailer. Nineteen know. shows is one show too many for eighteen. And, days. and you know, so at the it end of that, you. you know, people are a little frazzled. Sure, of course, and That'll you know, test but but yeah, the operation work things out. You know, there's different personalities. You know, I was an edgy East Coast guy, and. You know, Mike and Trav were kind of like, you know, chill out, man, you know. But I was also really funny (laughs) when I was all geared up and and crazy, (laughs) you know. But, you know, everybody's different personalities. And we had sometimes we'd have to talk about, you know, hey, when you 
come off gruff like this, you know, they'd say to me, it doesn't work for me, you know? And I'd be like, oh, okay, huh, all right. And I'd just like be something that I could think about, you know? And, uh, you know, they're different things and you have to work out your problems on the, on, on the road. And, but even, even as aware, as conscious as you guys were, as much as you were trying to be real with each other and keep things on the up and up and sort of optimize the whole experience for everyone, some things still pile up in the back and and things don't all get addressed and worked out on the way. There's, there's, Things about everybody's personalities, you know, that are hard to deal with for the other people. You know, it's just kind of like that. And uh, so we we have done some coaching, team building, mm-hmm. slash psychotherapy. Now, is that, <laughs> is that something that everybody was into as you guys approach it or... or some were more into okay. it than others. I think that uh, uh, as a as a whole, we agreed that that it would be really good to do. There's different levels of things that go on in within a band, as you know. There's personal interaction. There's on stage in- interaction. There's people that have strengths and weaknesses musically. You know that can make the band sound great or sometimes be a little like, hmm, what was that all about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so there's all these different different levels of, of things going on. And it's nice to be able to talk when there's a meteor, mediator mm-hmm. because sometimes if I say something to one of the guys or they say something to me, it might really bother me, you know, get me irritated or, um, sometimes somebody will just decide it's not worth trying to say this to, to the other person because it's just going to cause problems. It's going to make things difficult. So instead of saying like, Hey, when you play a solo over, a jazz tune, it makes us sound really amateurish. Nobody's ever said that to me, but <laughs> um, say if they were to say that, I could say, well, your feet smell right, right. or something. <laughs> but some things get, some, some things get so, said and some things go, go unsaid. It's some just things, the way yeah, of right. the world. So, so when you go into one of these kind of sessions, it's it's understood that people are going to be able to say what's on their mind. Right. And you have to, it's your duty to try to take anything positive that you can from what's said. Sure. And understand that it's not being said to piss you off. It's being said because... It's another layer that we're trying to peel back mm-hmm. so that ultimately when we go to rehearsal or more importantly, when we step on stage, there's not a lot of barriers between us that are going to make 
the interaction not come off as good as it could. Right. So you guys can both enjoy the experience of being in string cheese and also make the best music that you can. Exactly. And now for me, especially now more than ever, it's like, well, yes, yes, we want to get better. And yeah, there's room for improvement. But the most important thing right now and what we're trying to get to as a band is let's have fun doing it. Yeah. Let's have fun doing it because you can criticize people all you want, but it's not necessarily going to make them better at what they're doing. Right. We have to figure out ways that we can enjoy getting together, being together, and uh, at the same time, tune up some of the weak spots and tell people, when you do this, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Do more of that, right? You right, know, right, right. and not just be like, you know, air pick, out the good stuff, at it like yep. a friggin' scab sure. or something. Yeah, good for you guys. That's that's really interesting. Now, do you feel like those sessions have an immediate positive effect, or is it something that needs to like seep in over time as people process? Probably both. You know, isn't it? What do they uh, call it in the in the cults? We're not a cult. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they call it an unburdening. So you guys, a lot of it is that you guys are unburdening of things that you know. I might want to say that I feel like it might hurt somebody's feelings, or you know, things like that. You know, there's just like I'm not saying this because. I think you're, you know, I want to make you feel small. I'm just saying this because it's on my mind and I should say it. Yeah. You know? And, yeah, that's that's yeah. an important part of the whole equation. It's not that you're going to iron out every issue that you have with your bandmates. It's just sometimes giving a voice to your concerns or there's this thing that someone else yeah. does. Even just creating that awareness takes you maybe most of the way toward making the whole thing a better experience understanding each other yeah exactly yeah, understanding each other and and then when some when some you know someone says something to you in the band you know you you're like uh, i know where he's coming from with this you know and i get it yeah yeah and it's it's working it it yeah de- it, it definitely helps a yeah. lot you know, but it's 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 an ongoing process. Yeah. You know, so we're going to do it again. You know, coming up here right before our Thanksgiving shows, and um, and also what we do when we get together like that is like, hey, where what do we want to? Where do we want to be in five years? Where mm-hmm. do we want to be in ten years? You right. Know, that kind of stuff. And, and that and that kind of ties into there's a value in this whole exercise outside of what's aired out in these sessions, just in the idea that it says that you guys are committed to this thing with each other right. and going the distance. And there's a value in that alone. There is. It's really important. I think for people to feel that commitment, um, especially, you know, now we've, we've gotten to a level where it's like, there's nothing else we could do. Any of us that would, uh, give us the financial success that the band the band is right you know 
It's not like I'm playing happy hour and it's like, well, I don't feel like playing happy hour anymore, so I'm just going to go back to washing dishes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it's gotten really different now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that, um, and people have families and homes and things like that, you know, and it's really important to feel like the rug isn't going to be pulled out from under them. It's a healthier cheese. It's a low-fat yeah. cheese. That yeah. we can all enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for Cheese years for to the come. ages. <laughs> um, before we wrap it's up. It's a little smelly, but it tastes great. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> um, what? Before we wrap up, I want to just get into your stage mentality. Because you guys, mm-hmm. you guys play huge shows. You know, Three Nights at Red Rocks, First Bank mm-hmm. Center. Um, you know, all these legendary venues, thousands of fans. And... It's no small feat to get in the zone and rise to that occasion. And I know that you guys have had years and many shows starting small, growing over time to hone that in. But what does it look like for you these days when you're, you know, when you're getting ready to go on stage at Red Rocks? What what are the couple hours before you actually step on the stage like? Uh, the couple hours are like... Um try to get get the meal not too close to showtime sure so for singing and just feeling good on stage um mentally it's like start ramping up the personal energy Uh uh-huh a little bit get the blood flowing you know right um we'll we always get together and and run a few tunes and sing some songs. How long before you actually hit the stage does that go down? Um, at least an hour okay. before we we play. We're together um, looking at the song, songs we're going to play. So it's it's a rehearsal of it's stuff that... It can be. It can be. Some people like to rehearse some of the songs and some people need to rehearse some of the songs. Right. There's some kind of pretty complicated ones yep um and then for some people you know like like trav you know he'll play if if there's something that we need him to play to uh work go through parts you know but um he prefers to not play the song and then go out on stage and then play the song again. To save the energy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, the first time it comes out is going to be on stage and it's going to be more energy that way. I think that's his mentality um, and not get worn down. Because sometimes you can over practice before you get on stage and not have the energy and um, some that's the challenge in the bigger shows when we play a show with uh, another artist and or we have horns and singers like you guys do, do a lot of that at collaboration you know or yeah. it, at uh, electric forest a lot of times and that takes a lot of rehearsal sure and that gets tricky because when you rehearse all day, and then go play a show, and then you rehearse the next day all day, and then you go play the show, and you have this important set that you've been working on for for weeks, you know, mm-hmm. like 
learning the songs and then practicing them with the singers or whoever's involved, horns. Um, it has to be gone through. But it's challenging. Sometimes you can play so much that you get on stage and the energy is not there. You know how to play it. You know how to do all the parts, you know, but the energy can um, can be a little... Uh, you can just be worn out from, from all of that. So that's a tricky thing about the, the big sets, you know, and the collaborative sets. Um, so I like to, you know, there's definitely some songs that have complicated parts and, and I like to run through them before we play the song. So once you guys get through that, you're, you're getting close so, to showtime. So then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes. Am I drinking? Am I not drinking? <laughs> Big questions. <laughs> Don't smoke pot before the set because the first two songs will be great. And then I'm the same way. The rest of the show the can be get, get away from you. You think it went so The jams well, were and great. Then you listen back and you're jamming, and it's like <laughs> fucking awesome. And then all of a sudden, you have to run through all these these little melody lines that come up and and it like hits you and, and it's like whoa that just went right by inside the musician's brain there's nothing <laughs> at that moment smoke <laughs> um, you know so so i like to i like to uh have a good pick up bottle of tequila and take a, a nice slug before I work on stage, it does something for me. It makes me feel like I can do that. I can take a shot. I can. I have. Uh, I have free tequila. I remember I'm gonna, very. I'm hit it. I remember very we distinctly. Get on stage. We've we've shared some pre-show tequila. I remember very distinctly when we were touring Emmett Nursery Monday as we were in Drew's gold van, his conversion van, mm-hmm. and I think I think the only thing we had on our rider was Patron, and in, <laughs> in between the two front seats, there was just like. They'd stack up one more each day. And we have this like pyramid of the green Patron boxes between the front two seats. Um, so when you guys go out on stage, you do your so, thing. And then what about set break? Are you, do you guys keep it pretty mellow at set break and try to sort of stay in the zone and let that keep oh, that one, one other thing, though, before, yeah, yeah, before we go on, we, we put the hands together. Oh, yeah. In a, you know. And, and, you know, somebody might have something to say or somebody might not, you know, we're, we're, uh, thankful that we get to, this is what we get to do for our, you know, livelihood and thankful for the fans and, and all, and all that, you know, and just want to make sure that we're all ears when we get out on stage, Yep. you know, and, uh, gratitude and presence. Yeah. Yep. Those are so cute. Yeah, and I'll, you know, jump up and down a little bit, get the blood flowing, yeah. you know, and, and go out there. Um, <clears throat> set break is usually a time to visit with somebody that might have come to the show, you know, friends, family. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't play unless it's absolutely necessarily like we have this song coming up and the person that's going to sing it change the key. Some, it's got to be absolutely necessary sure. to to get our instruments and play on set break. Otherwise, we'll uh, a lot of times, you know, have drink, you know, 
visit with other people or sometimes we just go back you know a lot of times you know we just go back and say hey you know that was cool that was a good one or that was a that felt weird or it sounds you know has your sound right well, what about what about after the show what how consciously do you guys debrief and go over everything that happened so that you can say hey this was great let's have that be in the repertoire more often or this sucked you know i mean what what is the debrief process like for you guys it's it's pretty minimal we'll have a lot of times it will we'll have like five or ten minutes where we can just chill mm-hmm. without having before you open the before, green room up to guests before we stuff, open yeah. it up for guests yeah and I, I think it you know that's the time where you know we can uh either talk about the show or not talk about the show yeah. We tend to talk about things, you know, that happened on stage, you know, um, moments that were really good or, yeah. you know, or, hey, sorry, I totally blew that or something like that, you know. And, you know, some the amazing thing with with that, as you know, with mistakes that are made on stage when you play is that. Something that to you might seem really significant is goes by like a flash mm-hmm. to even your bandmates, For sure. and then the with the fans, it takes a it takes a major train wreck for them to notice that something oh, yeah. went wrong. That's, you know, that's um, for sure. you know. So you know, sometimes if I if I made mistakes in a song, I'll say, "Hey, I hope I didn't screw you up. I I totally blew that." You know. Yeah. And and just be able to, you know, or uh, you know, talk talk about things, sound different things for like five ten minutes, you know, yeah. and then and then we just chill out and depends on the show, mm-hmm. you know. If I'm ver- have my vertigo going, you know, I'll be like on the on the shuttle. How the how is your vertigo these days? It's it's pretty much gone. Great. So pretty much gone. Um, yeah, so so that's been good, you know. Uh, uh, sometimes when when it's like a three night big run, I'll uh, I'll be like out of there unless there's some like family that that I want to see or a friend that I haven't seen in a long time. Right. I'll just get on the uh, the uh, shuttle and go back to the hotel. Every now and then, there's like this thing and I just I have a night where I start drinking and I'm like party go into party mode you know (laughs) (laughs) and I enjoy them I don't I don't you know like uh, it used to be more of a way of life and now it's you know just an aberration right well (laughs) Billy I look forward to sharing more of those nights in the future and man thank you so much for hanging with me today yeah um you know, My I pleasure. A, I was a fan before before we ever played together or anything, and it's been a total honor to collaborate so much over the years, and you guys have just been so influential on us and all the bands that are thriving and kind of the jamgrass scene today. So thanks, man. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, Hondo. It's great visiting with you again. Yeah, buddy. Likewise. All right. 
All right, that's going to do it for episode eight. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Inside the Musician's Brain is a part of Osiris Media, and today's episode was brought to you by Summit Publishing, publishers of Blue Ridge Outdoors and Elevation Outdoors, and also Diderio, makers of the incredible new XT instrument strings. Check those out, and make sure to check back with us in two weeks for more conversations about music, life, and everything in between on Inside the Musician's Brain. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.